In other words, he doesn't belong to a priestly order. Hmm. Uh, his father wasn't a priest, and he's not going to have a son who's a priest. Hmm. Um, that was the case with Melchizedek. There's yeah. no evidence that his father was a priest or that he set up a priestly order. So, so the author of Hebrews um, wants to make this point, that there's something unique about Jesus as a high priest. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today is a book club episode, and we have T. Desmond Alexander on our show today to talk about his new book within the ESBT series, which is the Essential Studies in Biblical Theology series by IVP Academic phenomenal series we've had other book club episodes with books from this series this one is actually going to be called face to face with god a biblical theology of christ as priest and mediator by t desmond alexander once again um so if you go to our show notes you can find a link to ivp you can find this book as well as the whole esbt series that we've talked about and you can uh Grab all of them. Why not? Just grab all of them. And uh, there's some other books from IVP that we've done on the show as well that you might recognize. Uh, you're going to find some information about how to become a bridge builder. That is a uh, what we call our group of supporters that uh, help us bridge the gap to keep going forward in our show and bringing you guys good content. Uh, you're going to find some information about how to find a local church near you. So you'll hit that link and type in your zip code. Uh, generally speaking, you can find a Reformed church near you. If you can't find one very close near you, that uh, you can talk to some, maybe reach out to us or talk to some other people, and maybe we could uh, figure out somebody, a place that's in need of a Reformed church. You're also, uh, speaking of that, uh, you'll find out information about Peter's church plant and church plant efforts here in Orange County with Santa Ana Reformed. Uh, that church that he's going to be opening up, uh, Lord willing, later this year. So you can find out information on how to actually connect with him directly, a- ask questions what the, when the Bible studies are, uh, more about that church. Um, and then there's some uh, other information about uh, T. Desmond Alexander. And if I haven't forgotten anything else, I guess we could jump into today's show and let Peter further introduce Dr. Alexander. Yeah, we got, like you said, Dr. T. Desmond Alexander, who's the Senior Lecturer in Biblical Studies at Union Theological College. We are very excited to have him. He's a, he has a bunch of other articles and, and books that he's written. Some of the people on this show, this show listen to this show, may have heard before. One of them that I've read before from Paradise to Promised Land was was really influential to me uh, reading it a, a couple years back. And we read it here at Westminster as well. Um, but very excited to have you on, talk about this book, particularly Face to Face with God. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Alexander. 
my pleasure to be with you. It's lovely to meet you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, what's we were we were just talking um, before recording. How are how are things going for you in in, in Ireland? How how is how has life been these last couple of years for you? Oh, it's been a challenge with with COVID, and uh, still continues to be the case. Uh, I think uh, last week the, the the news was telling us that possibly one person in eight has COVID at the present time. Hmm. So it's. Uh, pretty rampant uh, mm. uh, a guy I was standing beside talking to yesterday in church messaged me this morning to say he had tested positive so uh, I'm oh. hoping that I wasn't too close to him <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well and you're going to totally make fun of me as an American saying this but I I don't know when this show is going to be published uh, Peter does the <laughs> scheduling but as we're recording we're a couple days a few days away from St. Patrick's Day <laughs> And you're in Ireland. This was too perfect. But you're going to totally make fun of me for even bringing that up. But that's true. Really, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No. no I was going to point it, out those those who are watching on YouTube are going to notice. This is the first time I've seen anybody with relatively the same setup as Nick, who's got his yeah. headset on and sounds like a pilot. And so every once in a while, I want Nick to like to uh, to start this off with with like that American Airlines or that Southwest Airlines, like they joke around on their headset. Be like, they sound exactly like pilots. I don't know what I sound like, but this is the first time I've seen two people or one person copying Nick on his headset. So this is, this will be fun. Oh, doctor sounds way, <laughs> Dr. Alexander sounds way better than me. Cause I, I've also been fighting some, I don't, I don't have COVID, but uh, I've been fighting some sort of uh, sick cold or something like that uh, the last couple of weeks and so i saw your son though right yeah extra nasally yeah you know i'm in that stage of adulthood or parenthood where my kid is new to daycare (laughs) and so all these parents out there rampant bacteria all the time oh my goodness i never thought as an i thought as an adult that i was over uh yeah i never really got sick up until you know my kid getting in daycare. <laughs> now I'll catch everything yeah. he gets. So. Yeah. Well, uh, well, cool. I mean, thanks for coming on, Dr. Alexander. If you can, if you can tell us kind of a little bit about yourself, your background and some of your work in the Old Testament, how you got into the Old Testament work, uh, how, what, like what's been influential for you, and then some of the background for writing in Dr. Glad's ESBT series as well. Okay, it, it is perhaps a, a long story, but I'm not, so I won't go tell you everything. But <laughs> I, I, I ended up, I ended up doing a, a first degree um, at Queen's University in Belfast okay. in Semitic studies. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't my intention when I went to university, <laughs> but uh, um, God has a strange way of um, opening doors that you don't expect. Uh. And a consequence of that was that I ended up with two wonderful teachers, um, mm. two, two evangelical scholars. Uh, one was um, Gordon Wenham. Um, oh, yeah. He's written yeah. A, a great deal on the Pentateuch. Yeah, and the other was, influential scholar, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and the other was a man, David Gooding, who may not be so well known, okay. but uh, David uh, Gooding was an expert on the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Huh. And uh, uh, But he was also a very interesting... Um, uh, uh, Christian teacher. He, okay. he was from a brethren background, uh, but mm. had a wonderful way of expounding scripture and of um, exploring themes. And, and I think between the two of them, 
Uh, I imbibed a great deal that has been mm. helpful to mm -hmm. me over the years. I, I ended up um, having the opportunity to do a PhD under Gordon Wenham, yeah. uh, worked on the book of Genesis. And then again, by God's uh, wonderful guidance and uh, uh, doors opening that I didn't expect to open, I, I, I taught in the university for 19 years in a, in a secular setting, mm. but I taught biblical studies and uh, Hebrew, particularly mm. the Old Testament. So, so my background was very much in Old Testament. That, that was, um, um, I, I find myself in a strange situation. I'm teaching in a theological college, but I don't have a degree in theology, <laughs> uh, which, yeah. which must, uh, must, must be rather strange for, yeah. uh, for where things are. But um, with, with all of that, uh, I, I also had a passion for understanding or wanting to understand how the Old Testament related to me as a Christian. Hmm. And so over time, I got involved in uh, a study group that was connected with Tyndale House in Cambridge. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, out of that, I ended up uh, uh, being the editor for the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, hmm. which... Um, uh, Brian Rosner, who at that time was in Aberdeen, yep, uh, yep. but it's now in Sydney. He he was one of the co-editors, as was um, uh, the consulting editors were um, Graham Goldsworthy and Don yep. Carson. Yep. Uh, so so that that in a way, I suppose, got me into biblical theology, <laughs> and uh, I I then had a career change for ten years. I moved <laughs> out of academic setting to become director of Christian training with the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Hmm. And that gave me an opportunity to produce uh, short uh, five, six week courses for hmm. lay people. Nice. And uh, th that probably changed the, my direction in terms of academic study. Hmm. I, I began to think more about how scripture as a whole relates to Christians. Hmm. Uh, out of that came a book uh, from Eden to the New Jerusalem, mm -hmm. um, which uh, was picked up in the States by Kriegel, yep. and, and they subtitled it differently to how it was subtitled in <laughs> England, which caused, huh. it, caused a bit of, a, caused a bit of um, uh, I suppose, anxiety for some people because they would <laughs> see this book that had part of the title was the yeah. same and then part of it was like is this a different book or is this the same thing Ex exactly yeah and um anyway kriegel put on it uh they 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 called it uh, an introduction to biblical theology hmm. which was not what i had set out to write <laughs> yeah um but it, it seems to have gone down well huh. in terms of having been picked up as as a an introduction to biblical yeah. theology, so I'm I'm not uh, too troubled by that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that has kind of I suppose <clears throat> moved me more and more away, partly away from uh, just working on the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So so I've ended up um, doing a couple of other books on biblical theology. Um, one entitled "The City of God and the Goal mm -hmm. of Creation," mm -hmm. and then th this one, this most recent one. Uh, face to face with God, hmm. um, looking at Christ as high priest and hmm. mediator. Um, um, uh, ben Glad approached me about six years ago, okay, to, um, 2016, to to write something for the series. Initially, he asked me to do something on creation and new creation, hmm. and uh, I I was 
a bit reluctant to um, <laughs> go in that particular direction because I'd already, I suppose I felt I'd already said what I wanted to say on that subject elsewhere and mm. was, was keen to do something different. And um, I, I was completing a, a pretty significant commentary in, in terms at least of size on mm. Exodus. Mm. And in the process of doing that, I had spent a lot of time thinking about the tabernacle and the the role of the high priest. Yep, yep. And uh, that's what drew me in that direction. So that this book arose out of having to work on a, a commentary on Exodus in particular, hmm. and then an invitation to be to participate in the series. And um, hmm. in dialogue with with Ben, we, we came up with this subject. So that that's what that's a little bit of the story. Yeah, too, awesome. That's great. Um, of just my story and also of. Uh, where the book has come from. Yeah, perfect. I know people, those who, who hear these and maybe read you or read other authors, I think it's helpful for them to know a little bit about your background so they can know this coming to the book. And okay, I see where he's coming from. I see some of his background and this helps me read a little bit of his work. So that's, that's really helpful. Well, I yeah, hope this, so. Yeah, thank you. This, this series will really aligns with our podcast well, um, that it's just, it's deep, great, rich, theological content that goes through cover to cover the bible but in a concise easy to read way um so lay people can can read it digest it learn from it yeah um, we love even, this series it's, it's, oh, it's, it's been an incredibly popular series on our show already and that we've seen on social media and that we've seen from dr glad so it's yeah it's it's an incredible resource for the church yeah and and people that are in uh, parts of leadership at church, uh, seminary school and whatnot, they could definitely learn from these oh, yeah. these works as well. I mean, uh, but I, I've yet to get even past the introduction of each one of these <laughs> books in the series and not have it touch my heart, like in a profound way. I'm like, and your book did that just the other night too. I was like, in the, even just in their introduction, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> like some of this stuff is just explained so richly and beautiful. I love it. So uh, talking a little bit about what this book talks about that a lot of Christians unfortunately know very little about would be maybe that starting off with the tabernacle. And we could go into that as like, um, what is this? What is its structure, the tabernacle? And why was it given to Israel? Okay, thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, the, the structure um, is is in some ways relatively straightforward. Uh, we're, we're thinking about a tent with uh, a courtyard that's created by a curtain fence that goes around it. It's it's meant to be a portable um, uh, structure. Uh, the tent itself is divided into two compartments. Uh, so uh, depending on which translation you read, it's the the holy place and the most holy place, mm -hmm. or the holy of holies. Um, the, the tent itself uh, was designed with um, perhaps two main purposes in view. Uh, it's designed, first of all, to be uh, a dwelling. So you, you end up, when you look at the Hebrew text of it, um, a word mishkan is used, which yep. is often translated as tabernacle, but um, it's, it's better translated just simply as a dwelling. Yep. God comes to dwell in this structure, in this tent, um, he, he, he takes up residence in the midst of the Israelite camp, and he's going to travel with them as they journey from Mount Sinai 
to the promised land. So the, the tent symbolizes um, um, God's presence among the people. He, he comes literally to, to dwell with them. And that is highly significant. That's going to have um, a major impact upon how the people live. Uh, it's going to affect their daily lives, having God's presence with them. Um, that, that's in some ways the obvious thing that most people pick up on in mm. terms of thinking about the tabernacle, the sense of God being present, living among the people. But as you also, um, as, you, as you look at the material about it, um, it's, it's really interesting. In, when, when God gives instructions to Moses for the, for the building of this particular structure, he begins talking about it as a dwelling place. And then halfway through his speech, he starts to talk about it as the tent of meeting. Mm. And he consistently then refers to it as the tent of meeting. And when he begins to do that, he then immediately introduces the high priest. He talks about the garments that the high priest is meant to wear and, and how he's to be clothed. And then he gives detailed instructions for the consecration of the high priest. So how he is to be um, uh, sanctified, made holy, mm -hmm. so that he can actually come inside the tent and uh, be close to God. And then also, uh, it, it seems almost out of place, but after you've had the instructions for the consecration of the high priest, you have instructions for the making of a golden incense altar. Um, interestingly, the other furnishings that were to be in the tent uh, are a table and a lampstand mm -hmm. and a chest, um, items that you might associate with dwelling, with it, with it being a dwelling place. But, but the altar sits, sits apart, and it's associated with this idea of um, um, the tent being the tent of meeting. It's where, mm. where you encounter God. Um, uh, and um, th that draws attention, or at least the, 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 these two functions of it being a dwelling place and then also a place where you meet with God, um, that draws attention to the importance of the high priest. And uh, it struck me. Uh, and, and continues to strike me quite strongly that very often when people think about priesthood in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. they think about priests in general. Mm -hmm. um, they tend not to focus in on the idea that there was simply one high priest yep. Yep. Um, who had a unique role to perform. Yep. Um, so um, I've, I've been been working on a, a chapter for another book at the minute and um, looking in particular at Leviticus chapter nine. Mm. And it's the chapter that comes immediately after the consecration of the high priest. Yep, yep. And it focuses on what uh, um, Aaron does in uh, uh, offering the initial sacrifices, setting up the sacrificial system. And the chapter is very much about his role as high priest, he, he stands apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so when we think about the tabernacle, we've, we've not only got to think about it being a dwelling place, which is exceptionally important, but we've also got to see it as being the place where God meets with people. Mm. And that, that encounter uh, centers very much on the high priest. The high priest mm. is going to have a special role to play in that. And that's going to feed into 
um, uh, the New Testament understanding of Jesus Christ as high priest. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful context. Um, I think that helps us with our, with our next question. And, and we hear this in Hebrews, and you interact in your book a lot with the book of Hebrews as it talks about the tabernacle, the priesthood. And so I think something that a lot of Christians may not think about or just not really know what the relationship between this stuff is, is, and you talk about this a lot in your book, what's, what is the relationship between the physical tabernacle on earth and this heavenly shadow that we're told about, or this, this earthly shadow of the heavenly reality that we're told about in Hebrews? How, how, does, how does the author of Hebrews kind of flesh this out? And how does this help us understand the physical tabernacle that we see, that we read about in the Old Testament as well? Okay. Uh, God has God has essentially um, given us a, a an earthly illustration of um, what something in heaven is like, mm-hmm. and uh, it it comes out in Exodus itself that uh, Moses goes up the mountain and and he has a vision of possibly the heavenly sanctuary and uh, the the heavenly. Um, tabernacle and he then is able to replicate that on earth mm-hmm. with the with the earthly tabernacle so there's a there's a sense in which one illustrates the other mm-hmm. and and we can see that connection mm-hmm. uh, and on the basis of that the old testament material that has to do with what the high priest does at the tabernacle provides us with a way of understanding what jesus christ does when he ascends into the heavenly tabernacle. And uh, so the author of Hebrews is going to talk about Jesus Christ and compare him to the earthly high priest. Uh, So there's a sense in which you can draw out parallels, but there are also some important contrasts. Uh, So, for example, uh, the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that the earthly high priest, because he's human and uh, uh, fallible, has to offer sacrifices to atone for his own shortcomings daily, mm-hmm. whereas Christ does not need to do that. Um, the, the earthly high priest goes in and out of the tabernacle mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. and he stands in God's presence. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christ actually goes into the heavenly tabernacle once and he remains there. He never leaves it. Mm. And he sits, he sits there. He doesn't, he doesn't stand in God's presence. He is seated as the high priest in, in the heavenly tabernacle. Uh, you, you also then begin to see that uh, in the Old Testament setting, the high priest actually had the important role of presenting the offerings to God. Mm-hmm. So um, um, the, the animal, for example, for the what we think of as the burnt offering was brought and was laid on the bronze altar outside mm-hmm. the tent. Um, it, was, um, it was burnt there. And uh, the Hebrew text uses a particular word for the burning. Uh, uh, a word that basically means turn into smoke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interestingly, um, the same uh, Hebrew root. That's Qatar, right? Um, uh, hiktir, yes. Qatar, yeah, hiktir, yes. Yep. Um, um, uh, the, the same root provides you with the word for incense. Mm. So mm. what's happening on the 
altar outside the tent is then replicated by the high priest mm. inside the tent on what is, in effect, a model mm. of the bronze altar. So the gold altar and the bronze altar are, um, resemble one another. Mm. And what the high priest does is he brings the offering into the sanctuary in order to present it to God. Uh, so even the Hebrew word that's used for offering mm-hmm. um, conveys the sense of something that is brought near. Yep, yep. Uh, Korban. Um, yeah. Uh, now, the, 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 the most significant Old Testament offering is referred to in most translations as the burnt offering. The, the Hebrew word for it actually is a word, ola, mm-hmm. which means to go up. Which isn't hello in Spanish. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's to go up. It's, it's certainly not. <laughs> uh, but but, but th- this ola, is, um, could, you could translate it um, as an ascension offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you come through to the New Testament, then um, Christ ascends, the ascension mm. becomes exceptionally important mm. because he is going into the heavenly sanctuary to present the offering. Um, in his case, the offering is actually the sacrifice that he has made, his sacrifice mm. himself. He has offered himself on the cross. But the ascension is, is vital because that's the point at which he does what the high priest does. Mm. He presents the offering to the father when, when he ascends into the heavenly sanctuary. Mm. Um, so um, hopefully by, by, by seeing what's happening in the Old Testament sanctuary, mm. we can begin to get an understanding of what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary. And, and that connection becomes really important. And I, I, sadly for me, I, I, I felt that um, a lot of these ideas were, are, are missed by yeah. scholars looking yeah. at the biblical material. They, they yeah. don't quite connect the things together. And a lot of Christians today have no idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, too, that our prayers are incense to God. When I first learned about that, I was... That was just like so comforting and great to know connecting that, that language to what you're explaining and how we can play a part in it as well. And before I jump into uh, one of my questions too, is would you say the tabernacle has a typological uh, element to it? Uh, There there are lots of different things you can say about the tabernacle and (laughs) and, uh, in in terms of unpacking it. one of the things that struck me as being, I think, quite important is that the tabernacle is uh, perceived as being uh, a microcosm, a miniature mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the sense of God coming to fill the model of the model of the world, and that creates the expectation that uh, in the future God's presence will fill the earth. Uh, you find this, I think, then being fulfilled in the description that you have of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, 22, where it's described as being like a golden cube, which which is a which recalls the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. Yeah, so, yeah. In, in this sense, that the tabernacle anticipates um, what's to come. That this <laughs> sense that God ultimately will not just be filling a small part mm. of the earth with his presence, but the whole earth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this also explains why in the Old Testament you occasionally find um, uh, the, the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, thinking about the earth as being like a tent. So they talk about the heavens being stretched mm-hmm. out or they, they talk about the, the earth having pillars, mm-hmm. the kind of pillars that would have supported the, yep, the, the yep. roof of the, of the temple. Uh, they, they, they have no way of seeing the earth from beyond. Mm-hmm. And so they, they mistakenly, I think, in, in one way, they, they, they assume that um, the, the, if the tabernacle or the temple is a model mm. of the earth, that that's then the structure mm. for the earth. Um, and mm. and, and the, they, they draw that out in their in yeah. comments that they make about uh, the shape of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you rightly spend so much time in Exodus and Leviticus and, of course, Hebrews. So how do, how do these help us form our understanding of the priesthood and Jesus's ministry, uh, even as our mediator? Um, yeah, cer- certain, certain books of the Bible develop certain themes or ideas more fully than other books Mm -hmm. so so interestingly you can read through the whole of genesis and if you based your understanding of god simply on the book of genesis you probably would not have much of a sense of god being holy Uh, holiness is hardly mentioned at all in genesis yet when you come to to the book of the exodus um, you begin to encounter it, Moses at the burning bush. The ground is holy because of God's presence. The Mount Sinai is holy because God descends upon it. The tabernacle is holy because God comes to dwell within it. Leviticus has a great deal to say about the significance of holiness. Uh, um, and, and as I was sort of drawing attention to, when you look at then what's said about the tabernacle, um, what a quarter of Exodus is given over to yeah. describing the, yeah, a lot of it, yeah. the, 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 the instructions for the building of it and then the, the carrying out of those instructions. And yeah, where most Christians the, reading, uh, reading stuff of Exodus goes to die is a really important portion of or of Exodus. Yeah. I, I, and uh, it, it seems on the surface, it seems very dry and uninteresting. Yeah. I, actually, when you begin to get into it and understand what it's about and what yeah. it's communicating, it becomes much more interesting and there's, yeah. there's a lot more to it yeah. than, than, than meets the eye. And there, there are subtle things that you need to pick up on. So, so Exodus and Leviticus draw attention to the, partic- to the importance of the tabernacle, this model of the heavenly sanctuary, to the high priest, to sacrifices, um, to holiness. Here, here are concepts that are especially developed in these books. And uh, when you jump to the New Testament, Hebrews tends to be the book that especially picks up mm-hmm. on the ascended Jesus. So the Gospels are going to focus on, you might say, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. Yeah. Uh, but it's only when you get to the book of Hebrews that you find a writer concentrating on the concept of the ascended Jesus and the significance of that. And it it seems to me that in some ways the the author of Hebrews is looking to explain to his readers why it is that Jesus has ascended to heaven, Mm. but not returned. Hmm. Uh, 
it, it, he, he wants to make the point that uh, Jesus is still fulfilling a vital ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. And uh, the way to understand that is to see that it's a high priestly ministry. And uh, how you learn about that is by going back to Exodus and Leviticus and seeing what the high priest does there. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful stuff. And and you 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 pull a lot of these these pieces together <clears throat> and you you uh, you describe them in, in, in further detail. And I think one of the one of the things that struck me, and I'm assuming is gonna struck a lot of the readers of this book as well, um, was one thing I never really thought about was the was actually the lack of connection between Jesus and the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood because he comes from the tribe of Judah, which is which is not one of these priestly lines. So can you describe because I think that may, may throw some people off. It's like, well, I thought Christ is a priest. And like, how can he be a priest if he's not in these line of, of the priesthood? So can you describe what the Old Testament says about the priestly descent, the unique ministry of Jesus? And this might be a, a slightly convoluted question too. Um, born of Joseph from the tribe of, of Judah. So like, we know he's a priest and he, he's a, he's a, he, he fulfills priestly duties, but he's not of a priestly line. So can you describe like, how does this relationship work? Okay, there, there's, there are a number of things that are, are very closely connected here. Uh, when you go back to Exodus, you, you see that the creation of the priesthood that's associated with Moses' brother Aaron is actually tied into the making of the covenant at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. So when the Israelites come to Mount Sinai, God invites them to become his people. Uh, when they agree to that arrangement, he then makes it, he then gives instructions for the creation of this tent so that he can come and dwell among them. Mm -hmm. And for that, uh, for God's presence to um, be with the people, uh, there has to be a high priest yeah. in order to ensure that the sins of the people are atoned for, that the relationship can continue. Um, that the, the sins of the people will not drive God away um, mm -hmm. um, from, from their midst. Um, so the, the Aaronic um, priesthood is established. And under the conditions, under the terms of the Sinai covenant, mm -hmm. the, the, the position of high priest moves from one person to another. So it's going to pass from uh, Aaron to one of his sons, and then it will pass on yep. in like a, there'll be a dynasty of priests and, yep. and particularly yep. of, of high priests. So there's yep. always going to be one person who will be high priest. Yep. And that person has been, in a sense, uh, appointed by God. Uh, God has chosen the high priest and uh, has put in place the legislation to do with the Aaronic priesthood. Um, it's, it's tied in with the, the tribe of Levi. Mm -hmm. So um, all priests are descendants of Levi, mm -hmm. uh, but not, not all. Um, so all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Yep. So the, yep. the, the priestly family is just one family within the tribe of Levi. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we discover that the, the other Levites are then appointed by God to assist the mm -hmm. priests. Mm -hmm. So, so we talk about priests and Levites as if they were in some ways, two separate categories, mm. but uh, in actual fact, every priest is a Levite mm -hmm. 
Um, but th but they have this strong temple connection. Uh, so so much so that when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, the two guys who come down the road to encounter the man who's been attacked are actually a priest and then a Levite. Mm. Uh, people connected with the temple, people mm -hmm. who are meant to be, you might say, more spiritual <laughs> than, than others. Mm -hmm. that, that they're meant to know what uh, serving God is about. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they get it wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a so so priests and Levites stand apart, and mm -hmm. and there is this um, sense in which um, there's a family connection. Uh, Christ, however, does not belong to the tribe of Levi. Mm -hmm. uh, he he belongs to the tribe of Judah, and that's very strongly emphasized mm -hmm. in in order to underline his uh, messianic sort of uh, credentials mm -hmm. uh, he, he's got to be a descendant of david mm -hmm. and so so you so you have this uh, significant uh, distinction when it comes to the new testament that jesus cannot belong um, um he, he, he cannot actually serve in the earthly sanctuary mm. because that would be to break the rules mm -hmm. uh, he, he's not a levite he, he's not a descendant of aaron uh, and so the author of Hebrews then, in, in order to address this particular issue, does, brings together two different things. He talks about a new covenant. So there's, there's going to be a, a, mm -hmm. a new covenant replacing the old covenant. And with the new covenant, there's also then going to be a new priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus Christ gets brought in at this stage as... Uh, belonging to a new priesthood, a priesthood that is compared to that of Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's, let's talk more about Melchizedek because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners and a lot of uh, church and Christians are, have questions about that. And, and it's in Genesis 14, Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7, talking about Melchizedek. So how does Christ's priesthood shape Melchizedek's and how does Melchizedek point forward to Christ? Because we hear about him uh, encounter with the encounter with Abraham as early as that in the Bible. Yeah, I, the, again, the, this is a really interesting uh, sort of issue to pick up on. Yeah. Um, uh, f first of all, I think there's something of a misunderstanding Yep. <laughs> as regards how, how Hebrews is read and how yep. Melchizedek is understood. Um, Melchizedek is presented in, in the Old Testament essentially as one of a kind. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he appears from nowhere and then he disappears. Yeah. Uh, he, he's there for a he, couple he, of verses that we never hear from he, him again. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just mentioned in a few verses. He's yeah. actually interestingly contrasted with the king of Sodom mm. and uh, Abraham it basically says amen to what Melchizedek has to say. Mm -hmm. And he says no to what the king of Sodom has to say. So the king of Sodom was going to make, offer Abraham a lot of wealth. Yeah. Um, the, the booty that he had captured. Mm -hmm. uh, it, essentially, in a, in a way, saying, well, if, if you want to uh, establish a kingdom, if you want to be um, the ruler of a nation, then take it by force. Uh, whereas, Whereas Melchizedek focuses on God. He's the one 
he's, he's the one who has protected and blessed Abraham. He's going to be the source of blessing mm. for the future. So, so he appears as a, a priest king, a, a very kind of unusual combination yep, yep. in the Old Testament. Uh, he, he appears and then disappears. And he is essentially one of a kind. He doesn't, there is no order of Melchizedek. Uh, now, th this is where the English translations in Hebrews are perhaps unfortunate because they often speak about Jesus belonging to the order of Melchizedek. Yep. Uh, but there isn't a priestly order as mm -hmm. such. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that he, he is a priest after the fashion of mm. or after the manner of Melchizedek. Uh, in other words, he doesn't belong to a priestly order. Mm. Uh, his father wasn't a priest, and he's not going to have a son who's a priest. Mm. Um, that was the case with Melchizedek. There's yeah. no evidence that his father was a priest or that he set up a priestly order. So, so the author of Hebrews um, wants to make this point, that there's something unique about Jesus as a high priest. Uh, he, he, he doesn't belong to the Levitical order because he doesn't belong to the tribe of Levi. Oh. Um, his, his priesthood is something different. And if you wanted an Old Testament parallel to it, then Melchizedek mm. is kind of the obvious person to go to. Mm. Um, and uh, that gets reinforced in two ways. Um, for, first of all, it gets picked up in Psalm 110, yep. where uh, if uh, David is the author of the Psalm, and he talks about his Lord, um, referring, I think, to the Messiah. Yep. And he, he wants to make the point that when the Messiah ascends to the Father, uh, he is not only going to be appointed or in, uh, recognized as king, but he's also going to enjoy a priestly, a high priestly status. Mm. So Psalm 110 becomes significant because that's the psalm that essentially appoints Jesus as high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And the parallel or the comparison that's made is with Melchizedek. Mm. So um, um, a unique priest, a priest mm -hmm. king, Jesus is a priest king. But in, in, in one sense, they're, they're, they're similar but they're not connected in any way as belonging to the same order. Mm. Uh, they're, they, they're similar in terms of fashion or manner. Uh, uh, people who have been appointed to a priestly, kingly position, but they don't belong to an order that's connected genealogically. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's helpful because I think a lot of Christians, and I, I thought, for a, for a while, um, either not really thinking about it or just kind of assuming kind of the general opinion was Melchizedek was some sort of theophany, that he was some sort of pre-incarnate Christ who comes before Christ in the flesh. And so when you look at Melchizedek, we say, oh, that's Christ in, like before his flesh versus where the uh, preacher of the Hebrews is really at pains to show, no, he's, he's like Christ to come because it doesn't show his actual genealogy, even though we know he has a genealogy but it's meant to show us that he doesn't come from a line 
that Christ doesn't come from a lion, which makes him like Melchizedek. Is that is that do I have that? Do I have that right? Yep. And and if I can just add another little point, um, that the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that in a sense, Melchizedek's priesthood was never passed on to anyone else. Yeah. So in a uh, sense, he uh. remains a priest forever. Uh. Mm. Whereas in the with the Levitical priesthood, um, the priesthood passed on. Hmm. to the next generation. So once you died, in a sense, you were no longer the high priest. Somebody else took on that role. Hmm. Um, the, the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that that never happens with Jesus Christ hmm. because he lives eternally. Hmm. So once he is appointed as high priest, he remains high priest hmm. forever. So he more fulfilled that role versus uh, got passed down to him. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and, yeah, that's incredibly helpful. That's yeah. <laughs> a lot of people just don't know what to do with Melchizedek because he shows up out of nowhere, then he leaves. We hear about him again in Psalm one ten. We hear about him again in, in Hebrews seven. Yeah. You're like, what is Melchizedek? What's he doing in terms of the story? But now, I mean, that's it's it's really helpful that <laughs> he doesn't come from the priesthood line and he doesn't extend it because he's he is the priest, and so we see the fulfillment of this and the one who doesn't extend the priesthood line who says, no, I'm. I'm the fulfillment of the priesthood. I'm I am the true priest who now presents yes. you to the Father. That's that's incredibly helpful stuff. So with all this said, how does this connect Jesus to being the mediator? How how does this make it where Jesus can be our mediator? Okay. Uh yeah. The, let me let me say two different things here. Yeah. Uh, for, first of all, in Christian theology. Uh, and I think you you see this if you go back to someone like Calvin, for example. Mm. Uh, the concept of mediator is, is sometimes used as a very broad umbrella term to to cover everything that Christ does. So you could think of Christ being a mediator, um, a bridge between human beings and God in terms of him being the Messiah, in terms of him being a prophet. And also then in terms of him being a priest, um, that, that's one way in which the term gets used. Um, I've, I haven't gone in that particular direction because when you actually look at the biblical term uh, mediator, um, it, it comes up mainly in Hebrews. Hmm. And there it's connected very precisely with the idea of Christ mediating uh, a new covenant. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 a, it's it's in this role as covenant mediator that uh, the, the concept of mediation is used. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you get something a little bit similar in in Paul, where he talks about um, Moses mm-hmm. being the mediator of the law, yep. which is es- essentially the the Sinai covenant. Yep. So so the mediator. Is, is someone who not only brings the two parties together, but also ensures that that relationship continues. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's created, it's, it's, it's stable, it remains. Mm-hmm. So, so the mediator isn't, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, in everyday life today, when we talk about someone acting as a mediator, um, we, we, th- we simply think of them as a facilitator. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they bring two 
two groups of people together who, who maybe need to be reconciled and they facilitate that process of reconciliation. Well, Christ does that, but more than that, he guarantees that there will be a healing of the relationship. And so the concept of mediator is very much tied in with the creation of the new covenant. And in effect, the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that the covenant made at Mount Sinai uh, failed because of the failure, in effect, of the priesthood, the high priest. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, the, the Old Testament high priest was not, um, uh, wasn't sufficient to ensure that that covenant relationship would continue. Um, but Christ comes as a perfect high priest mm. um, and he can ensure that that relationship, the new covenant then exists. So it, it, he offers a, a better guarantee to, to those who are part of the new covenant that their relationship with God will continue. Uh, so if, if you've got a perfect high priest, then you have um, more assurance that uh, uh, that the reconciliation will be it will be in place. That uh, um, you know we, we come into a relationship with God. Um, if if we sin, if we fail, we have that assurance that we have a great High Priest who understands our weaknesses, who's, who's been where we've been, but who can also then intercede on our behalf and who has provided a perfect sacrifice mm. in order to atone for our shortcomings. So, mm. so understanding Christ as our, as our, as our great high priest, uh, as our perfect high priest, as our, as our mediator, it, uh, offers wonderful assurance to us that uh, our, our relationship with God is something that's based on a firm foundation. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think this is a, a great way as we, as we land this plan, as we, as we end this interview. Um, so as, as we've, we've talked about Christ's perfect mediatorship, the, the covenant being sure for us because we have a perfect mediator, perfect priest in heaven for us. What, what are you, what do you have? And I'm sure there's, there's a lot of things that you're hoping your readers come away. But so after somebody's listening to this, they're like, I got to buy this book. I got to read this, learn more about the priesthood, learn more about the tabernacle, learn more about mediatorship in general. Uh, so what, what are you hoping uh, your readers come away with after reading your book? Uh, I, I suppose I, I hope that they will come away with a fuller understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Hmm. Um, you know, I, we, we all grow up uh, with, with a sense of Jesus Christ being prophet, priest, and king. I, I suspect that the middle statement, priest, hmm. is the one that's the least uh, well-known or hmm. understood hmm. Or, or, or appreciated. And I probably didn't really appreciate fully the, the significance of Jesus as, as our high priest until I actually got into working on the tabernacle mm. in Exodus mm. and seeing the, the significance of the high priest there. And so a, a, a better understanding of the Old Testament material mm. actually then sheds light on how Jesus is presented as the high priest and the significance of that and the importance of it. So I, it's, it's given me certainly a, a very fresh, better understanding mm. of this aspect of Christ's ministry, which is, I think, sadly neglected. So that's, that's something really important. Mm. I, I suppose I hope it also helps 
readers understand something of why this material is there in the Old Testament mm. to do with the tabernacle, why, why um, so much in Leviticus? Mm. Um, you know, how is it relevant? Mm. Um, well, I think it sheds light on Christ and mm. helps us in that way. So I, I suppose helping people to understand the Bible better, seeing how the Old Testament actually provides information um, material that enables us to read the New Testament mm. better. Mm. Um, just, just a better grasp of the Bible, essentially, and through that, a better understanding of Christ. That, mm. That's what I hope in some way might come out of um, yeah. uh, taking time to read, to read <laughs> yeah. the book. Yeah, no, yeah. I love it. I know, I know I, I can speak for Nick as well, that um, this helped us um, better, better fill out understanding of what Christ has done, who Christ mm. is, and what he's done for us. So uh, my last question, as we, as we end up most of our interviews is uh, where can people find you find your work? And um, if they're like, ah, oh, this is, this is great. I want, I want to read more of, of, of Dr. <laughs> Alexander, what, like what he's, what he's done, some of the stuff he's produced. And is there anything that you're working on that you've, you've kind of also talked about some stuff that you can, that we can look forward to as well? Um, well, I'm, I'm, presently working on a book on the kingdom of God, which probably will be another couple of years, maybe before yeah, it appears yeah. in print, uh -huh. um, all being well in the next month or so, um, a fourth edition of my book from paradise That's to the right, promised yeah. land is, yep. is due out. So Baker's doing that, that right? Uh, Baker books are doing that. So, so that's something fresh and new that yeah. is there. Um, I, I suppose if somebody wants to get a sense of what I, of other, other books that I've written, um, maybe one of the easiest ways, not, not that I'm recommending that you go and buy them on Amazon, but if you go to Amazon and uh, look up my author's page, you'll get a listing of other, of, of other books. So that's probably the easiest way to actually get a sense of, of things that are there. Um, Great. Yeah. But, uh, well, um, I don't know if, if Nick, you've anything else or Dr. Alexander, if there's anything else you want to point out uh, before, before we end this out. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe Peter, we could put that in the show notes. So list yeah, of his yeah, other works. The, yeah, to make it easier author, for people. Author page up there too. Yeah. They can they can go look at that stuff as well. And um, as usual too, and especially with the uh, NSBT series, we have, we have a special agreement with IVP where whenever we interview one of the authors for the NSBT series, we give away the entire series. So if you guys go to um, our Twitter and we're also doing an Instagram, uh, Guilt Grace Pod, you guys will see all six volumes including the new one with Dr. Alexander. So this will come out on a Friday. This will come out on a Thursday. So tomorrow on Friday, as we'll see, enter for your chance to win all six volumes and you guys get to read them chronologically, whatever you guys want to do, uh, learn more about Christ and his work. But we're very thankful for your work, Dr. Alexander. Thankful for this book. Um, it was a pleasure to read. I mean, I loved reading it. I, I think I read it in three days. It was, it was, it was yeah. really, really interesting. Um, really good. So, so thank you for your thank work. You for saying so. E ESBT series, by the ESB, way. I, just, I don't know why I said yeah. ESBT series. Well, it, yeah, isn't it a condensed kind of version? That's of true. Yeah, it's kind of, of it's kind of yeah. like the NSBT. Yeah, if we were given yeah. that fifty nine volumes in the NSB, NSBT versus the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> versus, so. the, versus the ESBT series. Yeah, we're giving away the ESBT. Yeah, thank you, Nick. We're giving away the ESBT ESBT series, all six volumes. So, including face to face with God. So. Yeah, thank you for this. It's been a pleasure having you on and, and hopefully we can have you on again soon in the future. Well, that would be my pleasure to thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah thank you. Hey, y'all, this is Peter Bell. Are you or someone you know looking for Reformed Church in Orange County or the Orange County area? 
We've got a growing core group, Santa Ana Reform, meeting Sunday afternoons. We'd love to have you join us as we work towards starting official worship services beginning in summer of 2022. If you or someone else you know would like to be part of a Reformed church from the ground up, hear the gospel preached from all of scripture every week, and enjoy sweet fellowship, contact us at Reformed at gmail.com or look in the show notes. I hope to meet you soon. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of writing review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>